This morning we're going to start working through a book of the Bible called Galatians in a new series called Free by Grace. What you may not realize is certain books had impact in history. When we went through the book of Romans a few years ago, I talked about how it actually launched the Reformation and changed the church throughout the world, and it's been changed ever since then, the book of Romans. What we may not understand is that the book of Galatians also played a part in the launching of the Reformation. Martin Luther, who was obviously significant in the Reformation, he used the book of Romans, but his favorite book and one book that really led the Reformation was the book of Galatians because of Paul's clear teaching on the authority of God's word. No man stands above God's word. And then it offers a message of grace-empowered, radical freedom that leads to abundant life. This is one of the most personal letters that the Apostle Paul would write. And he would write it to a group of church in Galatia, a group of churches, right? And in that, they had come to accept Jesus, all these Christians. And yet, he is upset because so many are falling away from the faith so quickly. They've come to accept the message of the good news, that Jesus died for their sins, was resurrected, and that he offers them salvation, and yet so many decided to walk away from that initial message that Paul delivered to them. And so we're going to read through chapter 1 today. I'm just going to touch on a few verses. So if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to start with verses 1 through 7 this morning. The Word of God says this, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, and raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, everybody say grace, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace, everybody say peace. Grace is that thing that has been given to us, and peace should be a result of what's been given to us. That Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Everyone say present. This wasn't about a formal, former evil age, but what was going on right here and right now. According to the will of our God, and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I marvel. Some translations say, I am astonished. I am amazed that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. I have three points this morning for you. Number one is the gospel is free. Salvation is free. Number two, that it's freeing. And number three, it's free to share. So Paul starts off this letter describing and emphasizing what Jesus did for us. I want you to hear this verse real quick. He gave. Everybody say, he gave. He gave himself. Say himself. That he might deliver us. Everybody say he. 
from this present evil age. He gave himself that he might deliver us from this present evil age. What we need to hear this morning as a church, and this isn't a basic message that is just a foundational teaching, it is, but it's something that we need to be reminded about time after time after time because as as sinful human beings, we will so easily pick up things that aren't applicable to our salvation. And I'll get into those things in a few minutes. But we need to understand that we had absolutely nothing to do with the forgiveness of our sins or our deliverance from evil. Like this is the good news, right? Because what we couldn't, what we can't, and what we won't ever be able to do, Jesus is the only one that could, that would, that did, and is a done deal. That's good news. And because it is only Jesus who could do it, it is only Jesus by whom we are saved. No one else, and definitely not of ourselves. But you all know that people are still looking for a Savior. I'm not talking about a Jesus Savior. They're looking for a Savior in their life. Even people that come to church that don't understand this. You know how many times I've heard people that have said, you know, if I just had a really good guy in my life, it would make my life so much better. If I just had that one, I remember years ago this gal saying, if I just had one of those guys that was up front with their hands in the air, and, and worshiping God and all this kind of stuff, if she just had him in her life, that she would have it so much better. I'm not picking on girls. Men say the exact same thing. Oh, she saved me. She didn't save you. She may have been a good thing in your life, but Jesus is the only one that saves. But so often we're looking for a savior in our lives, that something or somebody that's going to make our life better or different. And we're adamant, and, and here's how I know we're adamant, and you think that this isn't, doesn't have anything to do with salvation, but I guarantee you that when people get in the mind that, what? I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> All wound up for nothing. <laughs> when, when people are looking for something or someone to save them, they will devote more time, more energy, and more effort towards that thing that they hope will save them than they will towards their Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, as Ryan preached while I was gone, that thing or that person becomes an idol in their life, and they are chasing after a false gospel. You think that, you know, some sort of financial advisor is going to save you, or you think that, you know, there's welfare is going to save you, you think that the government's going to, you think that anybody else is going to save you, you think a doctor is going to save you, you think a pastor is going to save you. Listen, I ain't saving nobody. If there's one thing I've learned in 18 years is I am not the savior. All I can do is give you God's word and God's word is the only thing that can change your life. We're chasing after saviors all the time and there is only one savior. There is only one person. There is only one thing in this world we should be pointing people to and that is Jesus Christ. There is only one thing we should be chasing after, and if all those other things come along, as it says in his word, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If all those, that's great, but if they don't, we are seeking after one Savior, 
and he is the only one that would or could. And then we mess ourselves up by thinking that if it's not somebody else that's going to save us, we can save ourselves, right? Let's be honest. I can do it. I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll deal with this mess. I'm the one. And you start throwing the word I out there a whole bunch, forgetting who the I am is. It's not you. And so we're chasing after something else that will better our lives when Jesus Christ really, truly is the only one who can make us better. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. This is what I want us to hear this morning. For by grace, everybody say grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Say nothing to do with me. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would be able to boast. The whole idea of what Paul is trying to get across to Christians from the very beginning and to the, to the oldest of Christians is that there is nothing we can do to add to Jesus in order to be saved. It is a gift from God. No strings attached type of gift. And despite this being the good news that Paul preached everywhere he went and by which all of the believers in Galatia were saved anyways, there had been some Jews, more than likely Jews who had come into the church, and they thought that they needed to add something to Jesus because Jesus wasn't enough. And so they were trying to add the laws to Jesus. They thought, you know what, we need to trust in Jesus, but it's Jesus plus Jesus plus the laws, Jesus plus whatever regulations or the rules that you want to throw out there, they felt like they needed to add something to Jesus. Specifically speaking in this context, they were fighting over circumcision. Thank God for freedom and the law, right? They encouraged the practice of what we call today legalism. That's the idea of working in your own power. But it's also the idea of Jesus plus. Now we could sit and just think those, they were called Judaizers, were ridiculous people for wanting to add something to salvation through Jesus Christ, right? But the truth is, I believe that at some point in our faith, we all struggle with this same concept uh, to some degree. I think that I've seen it more as Christians mature in life. And then there's also those who think that they need to, to change themselves before they even come to Christ, right? And, and whether you believe this for yourself or you believe it for somebody else, you place that plus on someone else, it manifests in various ways. We've prayed a prayer, and now what do we need to do? And that, that connection in our brain is, I've prayed a prayer, now what do I need to do? To, to be saved, to continue to be saved, to continue to be in favor with God, right? And so we have these little things of Jesus plus. And if we're not careful, these things aren't bad, but we will think that we need to add them to salvation. Jesus plus read your Bible. Jesus plus read your Bible for uh, three chapters a day or an hour, whichever is greater. Jesus plus pray a certain amount of time or pray a certain amount of times per day. Jesus plus wear a suit. Jesus plus wear a dress. Jesus plus wear your Sunday best. 
We add things to the gospel. And you all might think, oh, that's crazy. No, we don't. That's not true. The truth is that we all go through these little, what I would say are religious, legalistic mindsets at times that we either apply to ourselves or we apply to other people. And here's how I know that you would base it on salvation. If it's something that God's worked in you, you are more apt to apply that plus to somebody else. And then if they're not living up to the plus that you lived up to, then you have something to measure how, how bad they're doing in their salvation or if they're even saved, right? We all have these things. If I stood up here and preached in a hat, some people might say, yo, bro, you even saved? Right? Like, what are you doing? And mind you, there's a balance between honor and respect for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. However, do we apply this towards salvation? My struggle, most of you know, as I describe in my testimony many times, was alcohol. And so God's worked this out in me. Corey really shouldn't drink ever. But my struggle over the years until these last few years has been if I see other Christians drinking, I don't even know if they're saved. If they are, they're weak in their salvation because they could cause somebody to stumble and lose their salvation. I throw all sorts of scriptures at you, right? So I have my legalistic idea. Now, I'll point my finger at you guys, at myself, but the truth is when I point at myself, I got three fingers pointing back at you guys, right? We all have these things. Uh, I, we went through this in our small group, and everybody went around the room, and so many people shared things that they thought at one time were things that needed to be added to our, that they judged people by, right? We become legalistic, and whatever God does, and it seems like the older, more mature you get in your faith, the more apt that you are to do that. You've accomplished a lot. You've grown in your faith. You've seen these things, and what's worked for you, you now think should be working for everybody else exactly how it worked for you. And so you apply this to other people. That's actually what Paul is arguing against. It is Jesus plus nothing for salvation. But why is it such a temptation to want to add something to Jesus? In our small group, we were, doing, we were following this video, and the pastor, he talked about man's desire for a method of measurement. We have, we have a desire to measure things. And so what happens is in Jesus' day and before and in Paul's day after Jesus is that the Jews would use the laws, and they would use that to measure how righteous they were. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, man, they were at the top. They could obey all of these laws. They were considered to be really righteous. You can see this in Paul's testimony throughout his letters. Like he, he obeyed the laws. He was righteous in man's eyes. And they would also use that same method of measurement when somebody wasn't meeting up to obeying all of the commandments that was out there, not just the 10, but the 613 plus commandments that man kept adding to what God wanted, then they would look at him and they would use that method of measurement for shame or condemnation. And you, you can look around our world and see that we live a lifestyle that we measure things. Like in kindergarten or in 
Sunday school, you would have a star chart, right? Gold stars. I remember red stars, blue stars. You always like gold the best, whatever. But they would say, you brought your Bible, you get a gold star this week. If you, you memorize your scripture, you get a gold star this week. And then you'd have the kid that had like 50 stars and you had like four. And what did that do? That gave a little bit of pride to the kid that had so many. And it gave a little bit of shame to the kid that didn't have very many. We've done this throughout all of our lives. Even as adults, we do use various ways to measure our success. And in trying to measure our success, really it's all about the pride of man. Because what we'll do is we want the measurement of success to show us and make us feel good about how well we have done in our job, in our sport, in our event, in our life, whatever it might be. This has measured my success and it really makes me good, feel good about myself when I can see where I land in that measurement. But the truth is, it can also bring shame and condemnation into your life if you don't feel like you've lived up, lived up to that measurement. And so what you will do is, I, don't, I didn't fall quite towards the top. I'm more in the middle right now. But you know what? When it comes to the measurement of excess, I may not be that person that's up there. But I, I know this person over here. And according to the measurement that I've been looking at, they don't quite live up to where I am right now. So at least my life is better than their life. I have more success than they have success. And so it helps make you still feel better because you found somebody else that you can put down according to your measurement. And so we desire these things in our life because it's our flesh and it feeds our pride. But we know it's not a healthy way to live. It's especially not good when we're trying to create measurements that get added to our salvation in Christ. What Paul says is not only is this, you know, not correct, but this is no gospel at all, he said. It's not even a gospel. It's not even the good news. If you have to measure something out according to your salvation and see where people fall within that measurement, it's a false gospel. That isn't the good news because, because now you're looking at what man can do or can't do based upon your measurements. And that's not what this whole thing called salvation is about. You know, the sinful nature in each one of us, we insist that we can make our own way to God. We can do something in order to get to God. And grace says, no, you can't. Grace strikes at the root of our pride and says, you can't do it. You cannot make a way to God. Only God can make a way to you. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus Christ. Paul is so adamant about this idea of salvation being free through grace that he gets mad about it. It says in verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. It doesn't matter if it's me coming back and saying, no, forget it. You do need to add some things to your salvation. It doesn't matter if it's people that are around me that have come and said to that. I don't even care if it's an angel in heaven. You want to know why? Because God's word exists above even angels. 
It is the authority. Man has nothing to do with it. And if they preach any other gospel, then salvation is free. The good news is free. Then he says, let that person be accursed. Now, our translators put it in a really nice English word that would help us get the meaning. But what he's actually saying in the original language is let them be damned. And he's saying that because that would be a gospel of no hope. Because if it comes to what man can do, there is no hope in that. So he goes on and he says, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone, he reinforces it, preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be damned. There's no hope. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Like there's no point in serving God if you're out to please people. Because ain't nobody ever going to be happy. And everybody wants something different in your life and for you and for themselves, right? And so he's like, I'm not out there to serve mankind. I don't care what any of you think. You can try to add something to the gospel. But I'm not here to please you. I'm only here to please God. And that's no gospel at all. And if you don't like it, you can get out. That's not salvation. He is adamant, so adamant that he is astonished with them. Like this letter is scolding them in the first chapter. I'm amazed that you guys are falling away already. And be damned to those people who are teaching you something different. That's what he's expressing here. It doesn't matter who's preaching it, right? I don't care who you are. This is about what only Jesus can do for you. The good news, and the only good news, is that this thing called the Christian faith is Jesus plus nothing. That's good news. It's free. All you got to do is receive Jesus into your life. That's amazing. You had nothing to do with it. You can't mess it up, right? Nobody else can mess it up for you. It was a free gift to you from Jesus Christ. And you know what the biggest problem have, biggest problem people have with a message like this is it puts fear inside of Christians because now they think that people who come to Christ can live any way they want. Oh, now they're just free to live however they want to live, right? The idea of if you say it's just grace, it's free, that there's nothing added to it, then you know what? It's a license to sin. I want to go back real quick before I move forward is I always go back to this when it comes to salvation. Once you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and in that understanding that God came from heaven, died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, was resurrected from the grave three days later, and ascended into heaven, and now by his spirit he empowers us to live life, that's salvation. Like there, I don't care what your beliefs are beyond that, that's salvation right there and you can look at somebody like the thief on the cross who's my greatest example and the thief on the cross couldn't do anything else and Jesus said yet this day you will be with me in paradise he didn't have the opportunity to tell a bunch of people he's sorry to write letters to anybody that he made all these mistakes he didn't have the opportunity to get baptized he didn't have the opportunity to do anything that we would apply to salvation yet Jesus says to him because you believed in me on this day you will be with me in paradise that's what salvation is it is Jesus plus nothing at all 
But the greatest fear we have is that if we teach people that, then they're going to have a license to sin. And here's the deal. It's true that if you look through the scriptures, you might feel like there's a contradiction in scripture. I'll throw some contradictions out for you. If it's free and there's nothing else added to it, then Jesus uses some words. And so we'll apply these to Jesus because it's all Jesus. It's Jesus' word. And yet in his gospels, he makes these statements like, you are my friends if, everybody say if, you do whatever I command you. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It almost seems like a contradiction. James, of course, we could pull out several uh, scriptures in James. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Paul even says a few things in the scriptures about people being judged, right? Yet throughout all of Galatians, Paul preaches grace unmerited favor. That is a favor with God that you do not deserve and you can't do anything to gain that favor in your life, but to receive Jesus Christ into your life. So the question is, are there two different gospels? Which one is it? And the answer is both. It's not that you're adding to grace in order to be accepted by God but it's grace that makes us accepted before God, and it's that grace that radically changes and empowers the way that we live. And before you worry about giving somebody a license to sin or what, it, what Paul is saying by living, understanding that, that it was Jesus plus nothing, before you ever worry about that, you have to understand the rest of the gospel, what Paul's describing in Galatians chapter 1. At the end of verse 3 and going into verse 4, he says he's talking about the Father and our Lord Jesus. And what does he say in verse 4? Who gave himself. Same verses that we said that it's about Jesus and why it's free is the same verse that we use to show us why it's not free license to sin. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Everybody say, deliver us. You see, that word for deliver is the same idea that's used behind the Israelites being delivered from Egypt, right? They were delivered from Egypt. He was their deliverer. What happened when they were delivered from Egypt? They were delivered from being slaves. They were set free. It's the same idea of Peter being released from prison. And when he was released from prison, he was delivered from the prison cell. And therefore, he was set free from the prison cell. It's the same idea that when we think about salvation, that in salvation, we have been set free from that which once bound us in life, that held us back in life, that, that caused us to be enslaved to the Satan of this world, right? Paul is using it here to describe our salvation that we have been delivered from this present evil. 
Now, obviously, we're not rescued out of this world, but we're rescued from the power of this world, the ways of this world. And what Paul is really saying isn't that the good news is a license to sin, but that the gospel of grace which delivered you so that you don't live like the world lives anymore, so that you don't think like the world thinks anymore, so you don't indulge what the world indulges in anymore, so you don't love like the world loves, so, because you are now freed from those ways. Do you understand that it is not, it's the enemy that is controlling the system of the world. That's clear in the scriptures. And so what we've lived in until Christ is the system of the world. It's formed the way that we think, the way we act, the way we, we do all of these things in life. And once I've given my life to Christ, what he's trying to get across to us is no, You've been freed from that. What I've given you is free. The door to the prison's been kicked open. Now step out and begin to live a life of true freedom. But what happens is we act like institutionalized people. And when you come out of prison, you don't know how to live free. And so there's this big question. Now what do I, like it's easy to go back to the things that we once knew. What did the Israelites say when they're wandering in the desert? They're being provided for by God. He would give them manna, right? He would give them fire to, to, to guide them. He would give them a cloud to cover them from the sun. He would give them water from a rock that he would cause them to get meat and, the, you know, and feed them with the birds that he had a promise before them to lead them to a land that was full of milk and honey like they've never experienced before, right? And what did they do in their wanderings of freedom? They didn't know what it meant to live free. And so they would start to wander and complain like we want to go back. It may not have been good, but there were some good things. I remember the good things, those tantalizing herbs that we used to be able to eat once in a while. I remember what it was like to be able to go get water. Yeah, we got beat. Yes, our family was persecuted. Yes, people were put to death. I want to go back to that because of the few little things that tantalized my soul. I want to go back to being bound and enslaved once again. Can you imagine the ridiculousness of that statement? And that's the mindset of, of people who think that they've been given a license to sin when they receive grace into their lives. Okay, now I still want to go back to this. No, 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 no. Those are the same things that God sets you free from. Now live free. Free of those things that once bound you. Free of those things that once caused you to worry, be in stress and anxiety. Free of those mindsets. Live free. But we struggle with what it means to actually live free. Now we're walking by grace. And here's what that means. When we wake up in the morning, we understand we need grace to breathe. We need grace to talk. Now, come on, somebody. Just to, to say things sometimes, you're going to need grace so that you can have that tongue bridled, right? We need grace just to talk. We need grace to pray. We need grace to study God's word. See, we wanted to take those things that were good and make them a Jesus plus thing. But the truth is, no, when you look at it from grace, I need grace to read God's word. I need grace to pray. I need grace to live out anything in the New Testament that God has called me to do. 
Grace is saturating all that we are, and then grace flows out of all that we are. And for the first time, by the grace of Christ, we can live like God has created us to live, not in bondage to this world anymore, because we have been set free. But we have to understand that it's only by grace. Paul goes on in this chapter, and in verses 15 through 17, he begins to describe his own testimony. I'm just going to read a couple of those verses. Number three, the gospel's free to share. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Just pausing right there. I want you to just really fathom what Paul's describing here. Paul was a religious Pharisee. That means he was a leader in the Jewish religion. Who he trained under as a rabbi was the best. Paul would have been considered one of the cream of the crop of religious leaders in his day that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He gives this great description of who he is, of what he accomplished according to man's measurement of success, their method of measurement. He was at the top. So much that when he saw people going against his religion that were Jews that claimed to say that Jesus set you free from all of this stuff, that he's like, I'm not going to allow this false gospel to take place in the land where I live. He began to pursue them and persecute them and and kill Christians. He oversaw the killing of Christians. Like he was chasing after what he believed to be a false gospel. He was the right of the right. And he was a persecutor. Killing people. And he says, but wait. You, You would think that, thank goodness, the Lord saved him, right? And changed his ways. Because who knows how many people would have died at the hands of Paul had God not saved saved him, right? But do you know this? What Paul's saying here is, when it pleases God who separated me from my mother's womb, he set me apart. He set me apart. Not when you all saw that I was set apart. Not when you all questioned whether I was really saved or not because I was once Saul who then became Paul. Not when you all saw that I was finally preaching the gospel three years later and you wonder where the gospel came to me and you thought that I must have been trained up under the apostles and preached by somebody else's authority, but that it was Jesus Christ who ministered to me and it's Jesus Christ who has the authority in my life and that's why I'm an apostle that's equal to everybody else's uh, that's an apostle. Not, Not at those times. I want you to understand, when did God set me apart? He set me apart from my mother's womb. Don't think that all of this happened without God still being in control. He knew from day one, from the foundations of the earth, who I would be. And he has still allowed me to be that person. And thank goodness that the gospel is free. Because I was doing everything right and I was still wrong. 
And I want you guys to understand that he's trying to drill this into them. Who called me through his grace. Not because of how right I was. If it had anything to do with how right I was or righteous I was, that was all for nothing. He calls it rubbish. It's garbage. Everything he did was right. And it meant absolutely nothing when it came to salvation and his purpose. God knew from the very beginning who Paul would become. And he called him through grace. He revealed Jesus Christ inside of him. And so we see these three things. God set him apart, God called him, and God revealed his son to him. Why? Why did God do those three things? You might think in today's world when we see people that have been set apart, called, and Christ has been revealed to them that now they've been set apart and they've been called and they have Christ growing inside of them that it's so that we can come to church and sit in a pew on Sundays and still live our ordinary lives but hope that it's better than what it was before. But Paul is very clear the reason why God did these three things before the foundations of the earth he had in store was so that he would proclaim the same grace to others that God had given to him. Why did God set you apart? Why has God called you? Why has God called all of you that have Christ inside of you right now? That you might proclaim Jesus amongst all of those who don't know him. Listen, here is the blessing of God connected with the purpose of God. The blessing of God is his grace. It's free and it's freeing, connected with the purpose of God. It's free to share with others. That's what God has, has asked of us. He received this into his life. It was a private revelation, right? It was a private revelation. Nobody could have brought it to you but Jesus himself for public communication that you would then share the goodness of God. Like if you really believe that his grace is free and freeing, the good news, if you really believe that it's so good, then it is something that we should be willing to share with the world around us. Freedom for grace. Freedom because of grace and a grace that empowers us in order to live the life that God's called us to live, with, which Jesus promises is the abundant life, is something worth sharing. And I pray that as we go throughout this week, that number one, we will grasp hold. Jesus plus nothing. Salvation is free. Let's not try to add anything to it. Let's not try to be judgmental of others that are around us. God does the work. Number two, that it's freeing, meaning that, yes, we're going to have a temptation to go back to those things that were comfortable, to go back to those things that once uh, we had, a, we was tempting to our soul at times, but that grace is what empowers us to move beyond living this institutionalized mindset, bound to the things of the world so that we can truly walk out the things that God has set before us. And man, I hope that we will grasp onto that good news and share it with others around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. 
Lord, I just ask of you that you, beyond anything that I preached, would speak to our hearts this morning on what we needed to hear. Maybe some of us this morning needed to hear all of that message, but I pray that you would, you would challenge us where we needed to be challenged. Help us not to be legalistic, religious in the way we see Pharisees and how they were religious to other people, judgmental, but Lord, that we would see ourselves in you. You loved us enough that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, and that it is by grace through faith that we received this great thing called salvation, true freedom into our lives. Lord, as we recognize that grace that you have given us, I pray as we're tempted this week to go other routes, that we would be willing to give that same grace to people around us. Lord, we give you thanks for being our example and for being our Lord and King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.